Welcome to Hadar's Web, a podcast featuring community conversations on spirituality, healing, justice, and art. My name is Hadar Cohen. I am your host, and I am delighted to invite you to my relational web. Welcome to a new episode. Today's guest is my dear friend and Kechi and Jaka, and I am so honored to be sitting here in your living room in this beautiful white couch. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and having me. This is really exciting. And Kechi and Jaka is a practice-based creative researcher, a neuroscientist, choreography artist, and mindfulness meditation guide. She is the founder of the Compass. NDN Lifestyle Studio, and co-founder of the sleep app, DreamWell. Her work intersects wellness, science, art, and social practice. Through her work, research, practice, and study, she discovered that mindfulness and creativity are crucial for sustaining individual and global well-being. One of the things that I like to start off um, with my podcast, because my podcast is really about my relational web and my friendships. So I like to start by asking how you know me and how we first got connected. I'm trying to think if, well, my first memory of you was when we met this summer um, in July in Liverpool, we were at the Bitson Observatory. And when did we have our first conversation though? We met in grad school. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like Art school. Trying to be like really specific about that, <laughs> like what somehow we were talking and we decided to get lunch together that first day. Yes. But I don't know when. But I remember just my memory of you is like when we were on the roof of the observatory. And you must have said you lived in LA or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I remember, I remember the moment you're talking about. And I think for me, part of what happened was that I was like, oh, there's a person here who's aligning on the intersections of all the things that I think about, like healing, justice, spirituality, movement, mindfulness. Like it was just like a wet. And here we were in Liverpool (laughs) (laughs) of all places. places. And um, especially, yeah, coming after being in Europe for some time, it was just so refreshing to meet you and to get to connect about all those intersections that we share. We do share a lot. We also share mutual friends and like having lived in the Bay area, which I think is really sweet too. Um, I find your work really compelling as well. And I think that it's not an easy intersection to be working with healing and healing is political. Um, Healing is a form of social practice, or at least like facilitating healing and facilitating spaces where healing can happen is a social practice. And so we, it's interesting because like how we know each other is by being in a practice-based research graduate school program. And yet our practices involve healing, which I think is not necessarily academic. Yeah, definitely. And I actually remember one time you posed this question and it's been in my mind ever since. It was such a powerful question. I think that's actually one of your gifts is that you're able to really 
put together these really potent questions. And um, it was something along the lines of, um, you were talking about a question that you're holding around, how do I get free mm-hmm. as quickly as possible so that I can show up for, you know, the collective healing or the collective liberation? Um, and let me know if you want to phrase it differently, <laughs> no. but it was, it was something along those lines. And I was just like, wow, what a beautiful way of phrasing that. Because so often in our personal life, we just spiral around the same psychological dramatic chaos. And, and that moment where you're like, actually, there's, um, there's something at stake here. And I'm going to choose my freedom. And I'm going to choose that all the way, you know. Um, So I think that's something that I really appreciate about you that you're able to not just hold all of this collective um, issues of justice, but really bring it home all the way to the body and know that that's where it starts from. Mm. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about that practice around somatic and movement and mindfulness and, you know, the intersection of all this, but, but how you kind of came to really um, understanding that the body is kind of the playground by which it all Mm. happens. It's interesting. The, um, the mug that I offered you with tea has a quote on like, it's a dance. It's, I don't know if you noticed, but it was a dance said something about the dances, which like we were made from, I think, but basically about the body, I should actually look at it and properly quote it. But um, I think it's interesting to think about the body as like an instrument, a vessel, um, the vehicle, the conduit of messaging and content, that word is gross, but like messaging or um, material or um or something. It's like more than just like organs and and bones and muscles. It's also like holding um, our feelings and our, our energy and soul. If you believe in souls, Um, I do. So I think that it it includes a lot. Um, And then all of these like past life things, you know, and future life things, future life things. Um, So, yeah, I guess, coming back to this idea of how do we get as free as possible, as quickly as possible. It was something that I was thinking about around the time that George Floyd was murdered. Um, And it's kind of painful to think that that is when I started thinking about it, even though I had been pursuing it before. It just actually, since like the age of two, it's weird that I'm even going to talk about this memory. It's my oldest memory. Um, but I was talking about it with, um, with a therapist this morning. Um, and I was trying to fly as a two-year-old freedom. I was being asked about like most traumatic event, most traumatic event in my life was me trying to fly, cutting my forehead open and then, and then being straight jacketed. So that was when I left my body and then I could see everything that was happening. And I've like totally fact-checked it with my parents. I was two, totally fact-checked it with you my were parents. Two? Yeah. So I like definitely, like, I know what I was wearing. I know what was unfolding. I have a complete memory of the room, but I fully left my body. But what was so traumatic about it was being straight-jacketed. That was, yeah. that was the trauma. Um, and obviously being straight-jacketed after wanting to fly and be free is also very interesting to me. So I think that I've been in the pursuit of this for a long time, but 
was not verbal about the pursuit until after George Floyd was murdered. And I thought to myself, well, I'm teaching meditation and I'm facilitating um, for people to find freedom in their body, but there's no application of why they would want freedom in their body, just like free from anxiety or free from the chaos of uncertainty or the world, COVID, you know, but really I, I think we must be free for everyone to be free. Like my freedom is impacted by your freedom and, and opposite. And, and so, yes, I'm very interested in researching that. I'm in the pursuit of that. Um, and I don't have answers, <laughs> but I do know that like, I feel most free, like in stillness and in movement. And so it just comes back to the things that I practice and facilitate, you know, meditation and movement. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing about yeah. this early childhood memory. It's it's present because of having to recall it for this this intake that I was doing this morning. But um but it is pretty striking. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I think that's one of the things that is also so fascinating about the body is that memories don't leave. They just get reorganized in some way. So even if we consciously forget it unconsciously lives on, um, which I think is part of why these practices around meditation and, you know, somatic work, dance work, it, it allows us to reaccess our knowing self in a different way than what we're conditioned to in a lot of, you know, traditional educational systems, which is like, okay, let's perfect this rational mind. Um, So I think what you're really offering for, to the world is this really, different way of of knowing the self um it's a little bit more mysterious <laughs> very but i also i love that yeah it's mysterious it's constantly changing it's all yeah it's always i mean it's dynamic that's its mm-hmm. natural state mm-hmm. um and yeah um so yeah i'm just like so struck by that <laughs> because it's like um yeah, the way that you really weave in the movement and the meditation practices. I mean, I know you have so many different forms and capacities by which you do that, different projects of your own, different collaborations that you do with others. I'm curious if you want to share a yeah, little bit about that. Absolutely. Um, so truly, I, I mean, it's interesting to me to have these as references, but this is kind of where it started, the like collaboration of getting free, mm-hmm. but artistically, like getting free and communicating it. Mm. Um, and then of course, with like my, um, I guess, you know, my, my desire for things to be beautiful, like make it, you know, like how can I bring artistry and creativity to it? Um, some of the projects I'm working on, of course, the PhD project, <laughs> which God knows how long it will take and what it will even evolve and be. Um, but I'm, you know, interested in, <clears throat> I'm interested in freedom and I'm interested in um, healing as it's happening in my own body mm. and how I get to with privilege to express freedom in my body. Mm. Um, I have the vocabulary to do that. I didn't realize that until later. And that's because of my dance training. Um, I can see this when I look at other black and brown bodies 
um, walking around that like they don't have the same like movement vocabulary as me. And as a result, maybe can't perform freedom in their body as I can, um, which is some of what this art is about. So one, one part of it is, is um, like movement in photography and, um, and kind of embodying different ways of being free and being seen and being visible and in site specific ways, um, usually in nature. And then another project, and then in a practical sense, not that the PhD isn't practical, but like it's still kind of unfolding and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but things that I do consistently that involve people um, more publicly are, um, I have an offering with my music partner called Resonance, which you came to. Yeah, um, it's so, so beautiful. I love it. <laughs> um, so music and mindfulness. And we started that in 2020 um, really as a way to offer space for people that were really grieving um, all of the changes and uncertainty with that then new pandemic. We had no idea how things were going to be. I mean, we still don't know, but like, two years later, it's like a very different vibe than like March, April, May of 2020. Yeah. So we were offering it because um, we felt it was like w- what we could offer for uh, as of service. And we still feel that way. Um, and our, our intention with that practice is really to bring in kind of the emotional landscape of humanity and the human experience into a reflective sitting practice by way of music and not just sound, but really a scored piece that has themes, has tone, has feeling, has depth. And then there's the meditation that's, that's over it. Um, And it's funny because I love the practice myself. Like I am always so touched that people even just want to come, but I love doing it. Like I love offering it and I, um, the music partner feels the same way. It just feels like we're offering something, but it's like doing other things. Like it's like creating something for more, for deeper capacity, for healing, for more people, not sure when and where and how, um, but there's something that's happening even in just creating the offering, which feels really meaningful Mm -hmm. personally. Um, Another project I am working on is, the compass. So which just launched. Yes, we relaunched. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually launched in 2021, October. And then we relaunched just like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Um and thank you for um your congratulatory words. <laughs> like we have worked so hard on um bringing it together. And what the compass is is a it's a digital curriculum for learning how to listen to oneself with a variety of practices so that one can navigate through their life with a sense of trust, with their intuition, with their inner knowing, with their inner truth, with their inner self-expression or outer self-expression, but really learning how to find your inner compass, essentially. Um, Perfectly titled. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Um, and so it's right now um, we have six different modules and they're themed. So there's how to set boundaries, the science of gratitude, um, the biological basis of stress. And um, really they're designed to bring mindfulness in a practical way for everyday life. So anyone who's trying to set a boundary probably knows that it can be stressful to set, to set a boundary. Oh, I know that. I'm a yeah. favorite. <laughs> yeah. So like, how do you take care of yourself when trying to do difficult things? Mm. You know, I think we just don't, we're not taught how to navigate our lives in a way that's like supportive of our well-being. So that's what the compass is truly designing it for my 16 year old self that had her first anxiety attack in um, honors biology and was not diagnosed with anxiety or depression until two years later and really did not have resources or tools to self-regulate and to know what was the feeling? What was truth? What was um, reality? You know, yeah. I, I think that those are formative years. And I think that I just, yeah, there was just like a big gap in, in education and social emotional learning, which I think now there's more resources for that. And I'm hoping that the curriculum can support students as well as people my age. Yeah, <laughs> my age, yeah, definitely. And I think one thing that's really potent about that particular project, but I think all your projects is that you really integrate this background in neuroscience and this understanding also of science and the body from a physical material perspective. I mean, of course, I didn't, it's not just the material because it's also the emotional, it's the spiritual, all these connections are layered, but because um, you're really willing to go there, you know, um, to really get into the details of, of how it all works. And um yeah, I really love that. I found that really, really compelling and really needed and necessary in our times. I feel that way too. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like it was hard to articulate for a really long time to even like think of what it would look like because I've taught meditation. I mean, and my background is in neuroscience and I was a researcher before becoming a mindfulness practitioner. And different fields and different spaces. But even in mindfulness, I felt like I was still missing something. Mm -hmm. It didn't include movement, even though mindfulness is really an embodied practice. I mean, if you're sitting with your breath, that's super embodied. It like gives space for you to really feel, oh, that pain in my knee. You can, you get in touch with your, the wisdom and the intelligence of the body. And once the practice is over, people forget that they have a body and yeah. then they just go around living life you know, from here up, from the neck up. Um, and I don't think we ought to live that way. Like yeah. there's so much we can express with our full body um, when we're really able and willing to. And just something to say based on what you shared, um, how the curriculum of the compass is designed is really body, mind, heart, and emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. So. Um, each module, even if we're working with gratitude or, or boundaries, there's different ways of learning about each thing. So there will be some like more of the theory and science, but then there will also be meditation and then there'll also be movement practices. And then there'll also be writing practices. So there's different ways to engage. 
um, which also gives like a more holistic way yeah. of being um, with yourself. Definitely really tending to all the parts of us. Um, you know, I was struck earlier when you were talking about having a movement vocabulary of learning how to find freedom in the body through movement. And that's something that's really deep in my practice too. But um, I was remembering in my personal life, I remember when I first started coming to movement, like I was so excited to dance because I was like, I had such a love for dance. And then I remember when I first started in my adult life, like really returning to dance, I was really overwhelmed with the levels of trauma that my body stored. And it was kind of this, um, this dissonance between this, like, ah, I want to be free in my body and I want to move and I want to express, but then just feeling this like very strong contraction and this, like a lot of it. Yeah. Trauma responses, I kept getting layered. And then I was just like, wow, how am I ever going to navigate through this? So I'm curious if you have any wisdom to share about that, either from your personal life and but just how, yeah, like with this research practice of like, how do we find that freedom in the body? Like, how do we relate to the many levels of trauma most of us are carrying every day? Yeah, um, this is a really interesting question. And one I'm afraid I won't be able to answer, but I I have some thoughts around it. I think when I... When I said movement vocabulary, I was thinking like of just this man that I saw walking who um, I don't want to identify for him, but a brown or black man walking. Obviously, he doesn't know that I see him and he's just like going wherever he's going. And I noticed in his body language, you know, a lot of people walk with their shoulders forward or they, you know, are slumped or hunched back. But um there was something, there was like an invisible quality to um, the way he was moving through space. And it like made me sad because one, I see him and I saw him, um, but it's almost like a conditioned environmental, like, I don't want to be seen. Like, you know, I'm obviously projecting, but like, like it had me wondering, like, well, why, why would someone want, why would someone be walking like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole, yeah, whole set of reasons for why. Um, and maybe none of them, even what I was thinking about, but I know that people have come up to me and have commented on just something like posture, which is something we learn and dance from a very young age, like broaden the you know the the torso and widen and lift the chest and lengthen the spine and there's a very different energetic quality to that than being slumped and you know hunched over and the way people perceive you is different so there's like energetic within the body of like how you might feel walking around like that and then how you're perceived and so I say privilege because I learned this from the age of two when I asked my mom to be in dance class, a lot happening at age two. Yeah. It's very early, but I know that I asked before I turned three to be in class because I had to make an exception for me. I was too young, but I demanded to be in dance class. Wow. I was very verbose. Yeah. Revolutionary Um, since a young age. (laughs) Getting your... Well, I saw it. I saw it. We went to go pick up my older sister and I saw her dancing. Another strong memory. And I was like, I want to do that. 
And so my mom put me in dance, but being in a, in a studio at a young age, we were constantly in front of mirrors. And so I was constantly able to make these adjustments for myself um, and know what the impact is. And I think that that's definitely not think it's definitely a privilege because a lot of money was spent for me to be in dance classes, but also I have this awareness of, of what my body looks like in space without seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know the impact that it has too. So it feels important to me that that is a part of the conversation because it's like we live in these bodies yeah. and they matter. And, you know, I think one of the things that I have found in the dance world is that maybe in the 20th century, a lot of dance modalities were really structured around um, here's a technique or here is a form and then like take it and put it on your body, like make your body dance this way, you know? And I think what's arising now in a lot of somatic practices is like, okay, let's take the form out, you know, especially a lot of this work around improvisation. Mm -hmm. Um, And let's just actually start with the felt experience of the body and asking how the body might want to move as opposed to making it look a certain way. And kind of this, um, you know, and I think you kind of told this line a lot, right? With this question of like, right, the mirrors and the visibility and, and what does a body look like? And then how does the body feel, right? Because those are also two separate ways of engaging with the body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm just curious if you have any reflections around that, right? This like felt sense and then the the sight and the seeing and the the way the body is. <laughs> the sight and the seeing. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's actually why after all of my training, I've like, really kind of stayed with improvisational movement. And now I would even consider it like more contemplative, even Mm -hmm. like, yes, it's obviously improv and it's in the moment, but I'm also consider like I'm asking myself questions as I'm moving. This is kind of what I've been playing with. Um, Asking myself questions and then allowing myself to respond with movement or ask myself questions as I'm moving um, that are like things I think about, maybe I would think about in a sitting practice if I was journaling, like, and the felt sense, it's like, well, how does the body, what does the body look like, which is less important to me when I'm in my own practice, but what does the body feel like? And then the third question that I'm interested in is, well, what does the body, like what needs to be paid attention to, or like, Mm. how does the body want to move? Um, and that's interesting from like a formal dance perspective, because traditionally you think the teacher, the choreographer, like they have an idea of how they want their dancers to move. Um, and so the idea of a person listening to their own body and asking their body, well, what is inspiring or interesting, what feels good or doesn't, or just is like worth investigating. Um, you never know what you're going to get and, yeah. it, and it's moment to moment. Um, so, which is back to the mystery of it all. <laughs> yeah. And the dynamism of just like being a human and wanting something in one moment and not the next and, or attending to something in one moment and not the next. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I I'm curious too about that and, it's why I love Gaga so much because it's just like 
free and open and um I mean there's guidelines and rules or structure but it's not so dogmatic yeah it's not fixed yeah yeah and it it really uses the imaginative powers of our minds right like yes and and permissioning that play uh, which I also very much resonate with I mean I I think you know when I was a, a younger me I was always really sad because I thought I could never be a dancer because I didn't have as much of a formal training like I had a bit but I was like okay I guess like if I'm not by 25 and like a formal dance company that means I can't be a dancer and I think then witnessing some of the shifts that were happening in the dance community around um both thinking about dance practice as um something that guides you your entire life as opposed to like these are your years that you're you know um but but also really yeah kind of the lens that you're talking about of bringing movement as a way of knowing the self right mm-hmm. as this creative research project that you yeah. do every day you know when you're making breakfast when you're walking out you're like how am i moving oh like what would happen if I moved slightly different? How would that shift my experience? And and almost, you know, that being an art piece in itself. Um, I love that so much. Yeah. And, you know, that's, I think it's something that, um, especially now being in art school, it's so funny because some, a question that I keeps arising for me is that this differentiation between art as a process and art as a product. And this question that for me, because my relationship to my body and my life, I'm like, that is my art practice. Mm -hmm. It's my body. It's my life. It's, you know, sometimes I document it and it creates, becomes an art piece. And sometimes I don't document it. And then it's just a live, it's like a spiritual art. almost. Um, And, 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 you know, something that I, I struggle with sometimes it's like, okay, like I want to live my life as if my life is art, the way that I move, the way that I breathe, the way that I interact, also the aesthetics that I think we both share right the love of beauty and making things look beautiful so it's just for your lifestyle choices and then when it comes to the creative art process when you're like okay but then how do I take all of this spiritual life and make it into a piece to show to the world you know that's um, a question that I constantly am wrestling with Um, yeah I don't know if you have thoughts about that (laughs) I mean, I think that's like the question of my life is like this is why we're friends. How to make it all make sense. <laughs> Not even make sense in like the sense making logical perspective, but just like how does it get to be? Or like what does it get to be? I love this idea of like everything is an art piece and um I'm Taurus rising, so like the aesthetics of things like do matter and um for me, even just like commenting on like the teapot and having the same one and even just thinking like, it's so different than my other kettle in that the other kettle is like wider and the water comes out really fast. And I almost feel like I have to move differently in order to pour the water for, for tea now. And it feels beautiful and it feels more artful mm-hmm. and I enjoy kind of like the performance has taken on like a bad word but like the performance of it yeah like and it makes me think too of like when other people are in my space like how do I move differently and um or how might I might 
how might I communicate differently when I'm communicating to somebody else Mm -hmm. and through the body. Um, And it's fun to think about. You're making me think about this understanding in spirituality that nothing is actually fixed. Like even objects, even if they appear fixed, right? It's like, okay, the tea kettle, it's an object. It looks Mm -hmm. fixed. But actually, it's also made out of moving molecules at the end of the day, right? Um, it's just we don't see it in the visible eye. But then we, when we interact with objects and our bodies, it's so fluid. I think that's one of the almost the miracles of human life is just like how much we can change so quickly sometimes and not even, you know, be aware of how much change is actually happening. So, so when we're interacting with these objects, you know, this is something that um, I, in my younger artist life, I would think a lot about is, um, my background's in engineering. And I remember taking like a functional design class and just really thinking about how the body interacts with objects, because it's, it's an illusion to think that the object is fixed and it allows us to, right. to experiment and to play. So I, I just really love that tea kettle <laughs> example, <laughs> because it really highlights, it's like, actually the way that an object is shaped invites us to relate to it. in certain ways and actually generates a whole experience for us Mm -hmm. um and that's true for people like our relationship to people which kind of comes back to the beginning of like collective healing i mean my nervous system impacts your nervous system Mm -hmm. whether i'm like verbally being like ah life is crazy but or if i'm just feeling it in my body or you can sense it by my posture in some way Um, and that's, you know, a question I've had for a long time. It's a question we have in our offering of resonance. The word resonance is, is truly reverberating energy to find a solid, I guess, vibe, (laughs) like, or whatever the like scientific word is, um, vibration. (laughs) Like, like, I'm pretty sure it's vibe. Yeah. The vibration. Vibe come from vibration. Yeah, exactly. I know. I was like, vibe just feels very Californian <laughs> and like not the right word and not the word I want to use. But it, I was like, I know that it's like that. Um, anyway, yeah. So I feel like we can achieve that. We achieve that through attunement. Mm-hmm. And um, that is on a very molecular level. And so we're kind of all in concert with all things yeah and all energies and molecules um and the collective unseen mm-hmm. and we're all just tapped in all the time whether we know it or we don't and you know i think something the thing especially being a healer or a dancer you know you're able sometimes to see things that people can't see about themselves and you're seeing how it's affecting you and then you're like well how do i communicate to them oh, you know i mean that's so hard. so hard i just refer to my like communication bibles like my well relating i would call it like relating practice resources the books i pulled out like decolonizing nonviolent communication and radical friendship um but it's it's very true because like once you're in your own practice or you are like starting to see things then you start to see things in other people and it can be very hard to let those people know I was thinking about that on the drive over here. I had acupuncture. So like my drive to my house. (laughs) Um, But I was thinking about how, I mean, bless my acupuncturist's heart. She's always asking me questions that are not easy. Like what needs to be said? What needs to be 
removed? Mm. What needs like your body is taxed? Like what can you shed? And or I'll explain something to her and she'll kind of, okay, it seems like you're in a season of needing to set stronger boundaries or that there's this entity or this person that is spilling into your field. And she can tell this from my body. I have some consciousness of this, but I'm also trying to not because it's like, it would require me to have to do some hard things, like have some hard conversations. Um, but I was thinking about on the way over, cause she's like, all I want for you for the rest of the year is just to like lay in your sauna bag and not do anything. And I was like, I think that that is actually possible. Um, however, yeah, started to make me think like, okay, well, what, am, what is taxing mm. and what is taxing is is truly like the spillage of other people's shit. Yes. And Oof. me having to like problem solve or hold it or tend to it, particularly when that it's like not about me. Yeah. And it's hard to think about that and think about the collective because I think those of us who find ourselves in positions of healing or positions of facilitation or even artists or activists or in any way tending to the people, there is something that, I don't know, I mean, I could be wrong, but I think that there's like a predisposition of like wanting to do more than what is necessary. Yeah. And that can be hard for us. And particularly because wanting to do more than what is necessary means then that people want more than what yes, is necessary. Definitely. And it it's a it's a really delicate like tightrope dance of being like what's helpful and what is actually like harmful because I'm doing more than what I need to be doing for you. You could be doing this for yourself. I don't know. Right. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why the principle of our interconnection is so important because I think sometimes um, in healing world and spiritual world, we kind of have this view of the teacher or sometimes we're also conditioned that we're just like, especially right with women, it's like, okay, like a woman is just expected to fix everything for me. Right. Or we just have these like societal expectations of teachers to, or just like, you know, I'm going to show up with all my trauma and then I'm going to give it to you and you're going to fix it for me. Um, and that to me is kind of just amplifying this this way of being where we're just really disempowered. We're get, we're constantly, when we give our trauma away, where we give our pain away to other people, we're also giving our power away, right? Because it's saying that I can't, I don't have any responsibility, right? It's like kind of when you're stuck in this victim mode too. And I think this, when we start to see the world as interconnection, we start to understand that everybody has a responsibility. There's no one exempt from that, right? Everyone, everyone, like I really deeply believe that every single being has the power to liberate themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think when we each access our own power to liberate ourselves and then we come together, that's when collective liberation can happen. But when we're constantly giving our power away and just like tossing it and, you know, yeah, like asking other people to do it for us, 
consciously, unconsciously, all it creates a lot of chaos in the field because then a lot of people are over. Yeah, healers, artists, activists are overwhelmed because they're just like, it's too much. It's too much. Like I, this is more than my fair share. And also, like, why would I be doing all of this work for? Like, it just doesn't make sense. It stops making sense. You know. Um. So I think you know that's an that's like my dream is that. How do we really create this form of community where everybody really has responsibility and power? Um, and of course, it's important to talk about, you know, power imbalances that happen in, in all of this. Um, but that's my spiritual orientation is that no one could ever take away your personal power. I agree. It feels complicated, though, but I, I agree with you. I think it's interesting, like even just thinking I mean, this is the, this is the big conundrum is like figuring out who (laughs) in a variety of ways is liberated enough to like also being community with, because I think it's, and I do not have this answer, but I think even, I mean, we were talking about dating earlier, like even in dating, it's like, you can feel when someone's trying to do not too much. I will be more clear when someone's trying to flex power, like mm. use power, wield power. And then it's kind of like, wait, what? Like, that's not how I'm approaching this. Like, yeah. this isn't, this isn't even necessary. Like, Definitely. um, nothing like romantic love to bring up yeah. all the power issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it sometimes shows up in friendship too. I definitely like had a situation with a friend who, really struggled to be honest, like about things that were really important. I mean, I think honesty is really important in in Mm -hmm. all ways for everything. I've yet to be corrected in this belief. Um, But yeah, this person was just like having a hard time. Um, And in my mind, I'm like, it doesn't even make sense because the dishonesty is preventing you from being free. Yes. And and simultaneous simultaneously you think you're being more you have more power because you are withholding this thing. And that's not really how it works in a certain space, right? Like mm-hmm. there's many dimensions and realities happening at once. So there's like yeah, the spiritual where it's like we all are free. And we all have access to power. And then we're here in the material world where there's like structures and constraints and things that have led us to believe otherwise. And so yes. constantly titrating between the two is exhausting. Yes. And probably when my acupuncturist said I was taxed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of us are exhausted living on this yes. planet. <laughs> yep. we, it's yep. not easy it's at all. Not. You know, it really isn't. It's yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. Um, but yeah, I just really, just really appreciate you as a friend. I just want to say, because I feel like we're asking a lot of the same questions and being in this shared exploration. And yeah, I'm just so struck by just how many different pieces you're constantly weaving together in such a graceful way, whether it's like the neuroscience or the movement or the art or the healing or the justice or the spirituality. Like it's so many things. And of course they're all in union, but so often in our society, they're so fragmented. So it's really refreshing um, to know you as a person who's really 
living all of them together. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm curious if there's any things that we didn't get to that you want to share. Oh, Lord. I mean, (laughs) probably so many things, but I'm just really appreciative of you and our friendship and that we do get to be in community together and in this and in this way. Um, Yeah, it can feel like pretty isolating and and it's beautiful also to see all of the ways in which our work and our practices and our what it is that we're offering to the world, how we are of service intersect, even though we're doing it in completely different ways, um, even so much as to even like some of our mutual friends. And so it's beautiful. And I'm grateful that we met in Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful place, by the way. Fucking phenomenal place if people want to check out your work what's the oh, best yeah. way websites instagram's yeah. gonna link them yes, but yes, if you want to yes. share yeah for... website's good um my name and kichiandjaka.com that has like everything i'm working on instagram indian lifestylist has usually i mean there's a link to linktree um and that can that also has everything and usually there's some fun stuff in there like events and articles that I've written and things like that but those are probably the best places beautiful thank you yeah thank you so much yeah thank you thank you for inviting me to your beautiful home (laughs) I love this couch (laughs) I love that we're both matching in this white outfit (laughs) yeah so really such a pleasure to chat with you and thank you 